Hey everybody, welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. My name is Eric Nemchuk, alongside Stephen Trinkwald. As always, we are continuing our 2022 team outlooks with the Washington Mystics. The Washington Mystics, uh, they went 12-20 and 20 in the regular season. Stop me if you've heard that one before. They were uh, <laughs> tied record-wise with both the Sparks and Liberty, but with tiebreakers, they were ninth in the standings. Uh, they were eighth in terms of net rating, negative five points per 100 possessions worse than their opponents over the course of the season. They were eighth in offense, so not terrible, but not great. 99.5 points per 100 possessions, and they were the second worst defense in the league. 104.4 points allowed per 100 possessions. And, you know, Eric, to be honest with you, I think this is a little bit of a, a tougher team outlook for us to kind of prepare for because the Venn diagram, I think, of what is like relevant about the 2021 Mystics and the 2022 Mystics is, you know, maybe besides Atlanta, you know, the, some of the slimmest overlap in the league here. Like last year's successes and failures were like completely predicated on one player who's no longer with the team this upcoming season's successes and failures is completely predicated on one player who basically didn't play at all last year five of the top eight players in last year's washington mystics in total minutes are not only like no longer part of the team but maybe won't even be in the WNBA this year so not a lot of really uh, relevant carryover i would say that's a good way of putting it. I think um, it would be safe to say that the Mystics 2021 season was a massive disappointment. Uh, you know, they brought in Tina Charles, obviously they brought in Alicia Clark, theoretically adding them to that group of, of Emma Mieseman and Maisha Hines-Allen and Elena Deladon was going to make them a championship contender. I really liked her chances. And then uh, things happened. Deladon got hurt. Alicia Clark got hurt. Emma Mieseman never showed up. So it quickly ended up being the Tina Charles show which we've seen on so many of those teams that she's played on in the past, um, the, the Mystics quickly went from a team that was expecting to compete for a title to a team that was, you know, Tina Charles and friends. And I think some of the players, they also got underwhelming performances from some of their uh, players who were better in 2020, namely Leelani Mitchell and Maisha Hines-Allen. So, but yeah, you're right. I mean, not a lot of those players who we're going to be talking about from 2021 are going to be relevant for the Mystics 2022 season. So it is an interesting outlook for sure. Interesting how quickly we went from how will Tina Charles adjust to a smaller role and kind of fit in with all those great players that she didn't end up getting a chance to play with, unfortunately, to the highest usage of Tina Charles' career. But I think unlike, and I don't really want to get into Tina Charles' individual season too much last year, but I th unlike, you know, some of those later Liberty seasons, like Tina Charles was actually good last year. You know, she, yeah, was, she was good. I mean, I think she was a big reason for why they were really, really bad defensively. But, you know, she had a pretty efficient season, just under 24 points per game on 54% true shooting. She shot a lot of threes and, and shot them really well. Did not really suffer any dip on how often she was able to get to the line because, you know, she wasn't really turning paint shots into threes. She was turning those uh, patented Tina Charles, you know, 19 footers into threes, which is great. And, and that really kind of helped not only her offense, but, you know, driving lanes for what few drivers they had on this team. And it was really remarkable how she was able to do that for the whole season, for, for most of the season anyway. Because, you know, we figure without Deladon and with a, an inconsistent Heinz Allen, Ariel Atkins, who we're going to talk about, not really a number one option, although a terrific player in her own right. Teams were loaded up to stop Tina Charles, right? You know, they, they were not fearing this this uh all the star-studded mystics starting lineup that like we anticipated but she was able to score 
on a very high volume and with reasonable efficiency as well. You know, I, particularly the three-point shooting, I was pretty impressed with that. I think this, the the book on Tina Charles for most of her career is, you know, she's taking too many jump shots. Well, it, it, it becomes a little more acceptable when, like you said, you step, you take another foot and a half backwards and those shots become worth three points instead of two points. Yeah, you know, maybe the defense was, was not great. I don't think it's solely Tina Charles' fault. Definitely not a defensive stopper type of player, but... Yeah, it was, um, like I said, it was pretty much Tina Charles, Ariel Atkins, and whoever else was going to step up in that particular night. And in comparison to 2020, when they had a lot of outstanding performances by uh, complimentary players, there were not nearly as many of those performances in 2021, and, and they suffered for it. Yeah, Leilani Mitchell and Heinz Allen, definitely the two uh, that you had mentioned that were sort of the biggest differences for why Washington was, you know, not really that good last year. But the other thing is like, you know, this is obvious, uh, probably because they missed so many important players, but they just didn't have like a WNBA caliber rotation. Like Sydney Weiss was fifth in this team in minutes. Teresa Plaisance was sixth in this team in minutes. Shavante Zellis and Erica McCall were eighth and ninth. So, and, and even just like aside from the overall talent level, which I think was not up to par for a typical playoff team, you know, this rotation had to be one of like the least athletic in the league last year. They were just at sure. like a, an athleticism disadvantage, pretty much like aside from Cloud and Atkins at, at every position each night. That's a good point. That's a good point. And, and how is that going to mani- how is that manifest? Like what disadvantages does that present night in and night out for them? Well, I think it really hurt their ability to get good looks offensively outside of Tina Charles, you know, good, clean three-pointers that that were kind of created by dribble penetration. You know, Natasha Cloud, I think, had her ups and downs last season in a lot of ways, you know, was a kind of effective pick-and-roll scorer in her own right, but then just had like a really off-shooting season. And then defensively, obviously, you know, I think a lot of the reason why they were 11th defensively is because so many of their, you know, the players outside of Atkins and Cloud and, and even Charles to some extent were just not up to caliber to be like, you know, playing against the players they were playing against. <laughs> so basically what you're saying is if you don't have a lot of good defenders, you're going to have trouble putting together a good defense. We talked about how Maisha Hines-Allen was uh, suffered a, a little bit of a, a step back in her productivity from the season before. Uh, let, let's start there, I guess. And she did, she was dealing with an injury. She had, uh, she injured her patellar tendon, I believe it was, and, and that caused her to miss Ouch. some time. And even, you know, when she was playing in the game she played, she only played 25 minutes per game, which was significantly down from the year before, which does kind of lead me to believe that she wasn't quite right even when she was available. And she was at 13 points per game last season, down from 17 in the bubble, 48% true shooting, down from 58% true shooting the season before. That is a significant drop. Uh, She went from the 78th percentile in the league to the 35th percentile. So essentially kind of cut that number in half, basically. What were the sort of like specifics you saw last year that was kind of a difference in Heinz Allen's game? Her two-point shooting wasn't good. Um, And, you know, I think when you have a player who takes so many long mid-range shots like she does, there's the potential for it to kind of be waxing and waning a little bit. But it was basically, you know, I think the the, uh, tendon injury was was evident. And, you know, she might not have been as explosive as we're used to seeing. Ideally, Heinz Allen is going to have an advantage over her matchups because she's so explosive off the dribble, right? She's got that quick first step. She can finish at the rim. Her, her face-up is, is pretty deadly. But I just didn't see as much of that from her last season. And maybe, you know, the fit next to Tina Charles was poor as well. I mean, I would certainly rather have Heinz Allen play next to Elena Deladon because, you know, the floor, the floor is going to be spaced. Or, or even better. Emma Miesemann, really. I think. Or even Emma Miesemann. Miesemann, yeah, I think, is a significantly better passer than Tina Charles and facilitator. 
Yeah, and it's like, I just don't really see how Charles and Heinz Allen games are, are really going to be complementing each other, right? Because they both want to get to the hoop for, for most uh, most most parts, but um, they're, they're not really going to be working together. You know, you're not going to see many, you didn't see many Charles to Heinz Allen assists or Heinz Allen to Charles assists. It just wasn't a, I just don't think it was a good combination. Um, I mean, but ideally, like the other player that doesn't have the ball would be spacing the floor adequately for, Yeah, uh, but it didn't really work out that way. No, it didn't work out that way. I think Heinz Allen, I think the jury is still out on whether or not she can be an effective complimentary player next to a star. Because you saw in the bubble season when, yeah, it was her and Miesemann, but that's just a, that's just, Miesemann is just a phenomenal fit next to basically any other big. Heinz Allen almost strikes me as the type of player who needs the ball in her hands to do stuff. You know, she's not going to be making, first of all, the main problem here is that she's not going to be making any plays defensively. She'll come up with some steals, but she's not a paint protector or a rim protector whatsoever. And if you're a big who's taking a lot of two-point shots, on that end of the floor, you know, it's obviously tremendously inefficient. But if you're also compounding that by not really being much of a defensive presence either, I wouldn't want to be playing her more than 25 minutes a game either, you know? I mean, yeah, I think we are sort of coming at this uh, from a perspective. Like, we, I think, are lower than Heinz Allen. Both of us are individually than, like, the kind of general consensus where they're, I think, you know, people still kind of see some some star upside there. She was really, really good in the bubble season, okay? Most improved candidate, I'll do respect. But just because, you know, you score a lot of points per game doesn't mean you're you're having a good season, you know? I mean, and, you know, the thing to always remember about the bubble season is a lot of really great players didn't play in it. You That's know? true. That's true. Five or six of the seven or eight best players in the world were not there, so... Players of lesser caliber were able to have very effective seasons. Heinz Allen's not the only one. And, you know, that's not to say that she'll never have a good season again, but that is, you know, certainly a consideration. Well, they better hope she does um, because they gave her a three-year guaranteed contract this past offseason. What would you say about that? You know, we've talked about that before. I I think they were kind of maybe strong-armed into doing so because you figure Tina Charles, (laughs) unhappy again, probably probably on her way out. Emma Mieseman, it just... All signs pointed towards Misaman just being done with the Mystics. So they could not afford to head into this coming season with all three of them leaving, right? So yeah, they invested pretty heavily in Heinz Allen, and um, she's going to be part of their core now, so how can she improve? Yeah, and I do think, and I don't have any intel on this, but I think the the organization genuinely believes in her. Like, I don't necessarily agree, but I think they wanted to bring her back, maybe regardless of what happened with those other two. And if not, like, they had the number one pick, you know? It's not like they were kind of like, looking at this kind of awful tanking season if they didn't bring back Maisha Hines-Allen. You know, there was a clear new direction to head, I think, if they wanted to do that. Uh, and she is obviously younger than those other two players. She's more athletic than those other two. So you get maybe what the organization would see in her. But, I mean, the shot just has to get back to falling. Like, she was one of the least efficient high-usage players last year. You mentioned the two-point shooting was not good. Her three-point shooting was significantly worse than the previous season as well but it is kind of you know the two-point range she was only she only shot 32 percent from the floater area last year down from almost 50 percent the previous season and she just couldn't like really hit anything like from those non-paint twos either I think a little bit of her shot diet has to kind of be modified because she does shoot threes but like she takes a, a pretty fair amount of catch and shoot spot up long twos and pick and pop long twos and if you're going to shoot you know 36 percent on those or whatever it was that then you have to kind of play the math game a little bit and you know she's for a big 
uh, someone that plays the power forward, fairly reliant on her jump shot. So, you know, you just kind of have to maximize those a little bit. She did get to the free throw line very well last season. Like that, that is kind of the one thing that she did not do well in 2020. I think that she improved on last season. So if she can kind of balance those two things and, and be a little bit more. And I think the jump shot coming around also like is very, very important to kind of open up that explosive first step for her because bigs, otherwise they're going to have a size advantage and they're going to just play off her a little bit, be able to kind of contest those shots at the rim if they're not worried about contesting the jump shot. Uh, And then the other thing, you know, she has to be able to defend in space and be like a useful switch defender in this pretty switch heavy scheme. Because as you were mentioning before, like she's not really effective at kind of the conventional big defense things like she's not a rim protector she's not going to come over as a weak side help defender and you know deter attempts at the basket even if she's not making plays like she's not even really kind of deterring anything there making solid rotations um i i don't really consider her a strong help defender even just in kind of what she wants to do never mind if she's even able to make the play you know what i'm saying so she has to be able to kind of switch and and bring some value as sort of like a perimeter defender Otherwise, you know, she's just kind of an inefficient scoring big that, like you said, maybe needs the ball in her hand, but isn't as good as other players that could have the ball in her hand and isn't really adding anything to the other end. And she's not really creating shots for others either, you know, and that's that's a problem. Um, According to Synergy Statistics, she was one for 14 on dribble jumpers last season. And of course, there can be some that's small sample size, obviously, but like, why is she taking jump shots off the dribble? This reminds me, you know, you said earlier, like, Tina Charles' uh, paint attempts weren't affected by her not taking long two-point shots. They're, or the two-point the two-point jumper turned into uh, three-point shots rather than turning into more paint attempts. I think in this case, this is a case where long two-pointers can turn into more paint attempts. You know, because Heinz Allen is so explosive off the dribble. She's, she's much quicker and she's stronger than most of her assignments, right? If you're taking roughly the same amount of, of shots at the rim than jump shots as jump shots, I don't know. I don't yeah, think that's a for, good for this player type, you just have to be more aggressive and kind of force the issue a little bit more. She shot 28.6% on half-court jump shots. That's that's not going to get it done. So you got to find a way, I agree with you, you got to find a way to, to turn those into more effective shots, whether that be stepping out and taking the three or just turning those down and, 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 and taking it off the dribble because we know she can do that. She can take it to the rim, and as you said, she can take it to the rim and get fouled. So, yeah, the shot diet needs to improve for sure. How about the season of maybe their most malleable player to kind of fit into a a contender here, Ariel Atkins? What did you think about her 2021? Yeah, one of our favorite players, one of the Double Down WNBA's favorite players, Ariel Atkins. Um, We talk about her a lot as this elite two-way role player or complementary player. You know, I'm kind of souring on the term role player, if we're we're honest, because everyone has a role. But um, we've also mentioned previously, you know, this is a player who is not going to be at her best when she's carrying the brunt of the offensive load, you know? And when the Mystics, I mean, last year, like I said, it was basically Charles and Atkins and, and whoever else wanted to show up. But Atkins was their by far their best perimeter player, right? She was by far their best guard or wing or however you want to classify her. I think we really saw what her limits were offensively. Yeah, for sure. I agree with you. Because even if, you know, the, the usage was a career high, but I think even her role in the offense exceeds kind of that increase in usage because she was used as a playmaker more and the offense just kind of seemed to be running through her a lot more and you know she's just not really a creator Um, I think she's an elite finisher and just kind of okay in in a creator and you know she can 
a lot of what you're going to get with her as your creator is non-paint twos and she's pretty good at those like she she is a very very good jump shooter whether it's from three or from long two so you know it's not the worst shot in the world but you know when you just look at her play types year over year as this team also happens to be getting worse and worse like she has been burdened with much more creation responsibility and that has uh manifested itself in this team being worse offense each year yeah i mean she's it's not her role and it's perfectly okay to admit that you know i I still think she's a tremendous player, and ideally she'll be sliding back into more of a uh, tertiary offensive option this coming season with with Deladon returning. Yeah, um, I mean, just like we talked about with like Alicia Gray a couple of weeks ago or whenever that was, like any team in the league you could put Ariel Atkins on, and she would immediately start for you, play yeah. really solid two-way ball, and not take anything off the table for your best players. When she obviously first came into the league and even – you know, I guess it was her second season, that 2019 season that was just like an all-time offense. She was much more of a spot-up player. Like she was a, a, the complimentary. 40% of her uh, possessions came from spot-up. She was in the 83rd percentile there. And she was only running pick and roll 16% of the time. And that these last couple of years without Christy Tolliver, without Natasha Cloud for, you know, one and a half seasons uh, essentially of that. Um, without Elena Deladon to really kind of be playing inside out a little bit more uh, because I think Deladon does kind of operate in the mid post a lot and sort of suck the defense in that way. Yeah. You know, it, it's been a lot more pick and roll for Ariel Atkins and she's, you know, she's okay. She's above average these years, but she's essentially doubling her volume and being an above average pick and roll scorer you know, it's still just much less efficient, obviously. It's going to be below a point per possession, whereas, you know, she's 1.1, 1.2 points per possession as a spot-up player because she just is such an elite shooter, and even if she's kind of getting run off the three-point line, she will shoot pretty well attacking closeouts, even if she's not getting all the way to the rim necessarily. And that, it still feels like there might be a little bit getting left on the table. Is it helping the team, though? When I think of Ariel Atkins, I do not think of somebody who's creating shots for others. No, in last year, you know, almost a third of her shots coming from non-paint twos. So it's not like she's really in these pick and roll opportunities, getting deep paint penetration and sucking the defense in. It's really, you know, just kind of getting an okay shot because nothing else is available to me, at least. Okay, so let me let me ask you a question about these pick and roll numbers. So they they obviously took a huge jump, at least in frequency speaking, speaking in terms of the frequency in which she ran pick and rolls. Um, they really jumped from 2019 to 2020 with the mystics ideally having a much healthier roster this coming season would you expect her to kind of slide back into you know more of a spot up shooter type of role because as you said she has improved you know the handling and and the off ball or or the off dribble shooting throughout her career so i'd be kind of surprised if they just take her and say okay you know you're going back to 2019 role ariel atkins i i don't think that's going to happen what do you think yeah especially because they don't really have a ton of other options like it's natasha cloud and ariel atkins and who else can dribble on this team well we'll see we'll see who earns the backup point guard spot i know they really like uh rui machida from japan but uh again like right now we're just going from what we know and uh what we know is this 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 team is kind of lacking in depth and i should say like i don't think ariel atkins was like the problem with this offense as much as it was just like you know, Teresa Plaisance and Erica McCall being this team's third and fourth bigs and Sydney Weiss just like completely forgetting how to hit a shot. Like I, Charles and Atkins, you know, maybe they were 
slightly disappointing kind of in, in sort of what you were hoping they were able to kind of drag this team to, but you know, they were not the problem, I would say. No, like I said, we love Ariel Atkins. We think she's an amazing player, and I don't think anything this past season changed our minds, right? Yeah, let's move on to this upcoming season. Would, would you consider this a quiet offseason? I was going to say it's kind of a quiet offseason because they brought in only one player, but I, it, that definitely was not the case because they they brought in Elizabeth Williams in free agency. They won the number one pick in the draft lottery and then and traded, traded down. That's right. Uh, just days before the draft, they traded uh, down to number three to draft Shakira Austin. Uh, they also acquired a second round pick and drafted Kristen Williams, who unfortunately got hurt uh, pretty early in camp and will miss the season and, and has already been released. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, very, very unfortunate. In terms of departures, uh, Tina Charles moved on to Phoenix. Leilani Mitchell has retired from basketball. And then MME Simon went, went to the uh, World Champion Chicago Sky. So, But they're also, you know, kind of getting a couple other uh, arrivals for all intents and purposes, hopefully. Elena Deladon has been participating in camp to some extent. Alicia Clark has been participating in camp to some extent. So this will be a significantly different looking team than it was last year. A different looking team, but I am still concerned about their overall depth, aren't you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, they essentially have, I mean, six decent players and then a lottery pick rookie and who knows what else they're going to get from like the rest of these. There's a lot figure out on kind of the back end of this roster. And, you know, some teams are bringing in like a lot of training camp options and you can see one of them sticking and maybe turn out to be pretty good. Like, let's go through the training camp options because I just I don't really have faith in any of these players fighting for these last few spots. They're going to bring in 11 players, so they need four players from the big spots. Maybe they they end up with two of these. Maybe they end up with one. Erica McCall, Megan Gustafson, Stephanie Mavunga, Tiana Hawkins. Any of these jump out to you as like sure thing contributors or or closer to locks to making the roster than the rest? I think it's got to be Tiana Hawkins. Maybe you disagree, but you know, she she had a unfortunate career in in, in Atlanta. She had an unfortunate time in Atlanta, but her best seasons were in Washington, right? It's interesting because she is one of the few players I consider to be a stretch big in the WNBA, although her shooting efficiency has really fluctuated wildly year after year in her career. But um, It's yeah, a real she, roller coaster each year. Yeah, a real roller coaster. Like, she's not, I don't know, maybe, she's, she's, she's a stretch big, but she's not a player who I'm game planning that much against. I mean, it's, obviously, you're just going to be switching on her and then just not worrying about it, right? Um but I do think her theoretical value to this roster is just greater than that of any of those other bigs. I don't know. Like, McCall is, is obviously brings hustle and rebounding. Mavunga, theoretically, same thing. Gustafson, high efficiency scoring around the basket and not much defense. I, I don't know. It's not an impressive group for sure. Yeah, except for, like, Gustafson... I guess has sort of a theory, but you can't even really look at like what one of these players, like what their defining WNBA skill is. is yeah, exactly. That, you know exactly. what I'm saying? Hawkins um, at least has one defining skill. Yeah, for sure. Hawkins does. But I, I'm sure they like Erica McCall just as like a culture piece. And, you know, if she makes a team, she'll be their third center. So it's not like she's going to have to play a ton if all goes right. well. And I mean, even, you know, this team might even like close smaller. So she, she might even be kind of further down the the totem pole uh, uh, or higher up. I always forget what the totem pole is, but um, she may not play that much, I guess. And then in terms of their wing and guard rotation, again, probably looking at two or maybe three of these players, Shatori, Walker, Kimbrough, uh, Rui Machida, as you mentioned, Kangli Soul, Mimi Jackson, and Lene Harper. I mean, Shatori, if, if she can play for anyone, she can play for Washington, I guess. Another double-down WNBA favorite who, in this case, has not really... Has not really um 
lived up to our expectations. It's very strange. I, I still like her game, but, you know, it's not another inconsistent player, right? Inconsistent in her role. I don't know, man. Not a lot of outstanding names there. You know, when you talk about, like, play, what they need from this position, I think they just need more size. Another player who can come in and just not get killed on defense and theoretically hit the open jump shot. A lot of these are either smaller wings or ball handlers. Small, um, small ball handlers at that. Or small ball, small ball handlers. Yeah, yeah that's true. Um, like Machida, uh, she's really fun to watch for Team Japan. She's really good in transition. She's she's really fun setting people up in transition. She averaged 12 and a half assists per game in the Olympics uh, last year. And that's just because they ran everything through her. They ran a very up-tempo and and uh, transition-heavy system. The issue I have with this is that she's five foot four. So, and like she, she didn't really hunt her own shot in the Olympics either. I don't think, you know, a, a player of that size is probably going to have trouble getting her own shot, at least at the rim in the WNBA, right? So, you know, Mike Tebow did allude to pairing her with any of their guards, which right now is just, it's just two players in, in, in Cloud and Atkins. But theoretically, that and, makes sense because yeah, I was going to say hiding her. Yeah. And both of those players can guard anybody you need them to on the perimeter. Yes. So, so Machida yes. can just, you know, if there's a weak link out there, you can just kind of stick yeah. around. Um, as you said in our uh, in our Liberty episode, it's it's unlikely that a team will will jump through hoop after hoop just to bring over an international player and then end up cutting them. So I I do like Machida's chances, but it's right now it's just an unknown quantity. But yeah, you know, and it's I think what they need is they just you said there are questions about the back end of the rotations. I still have questions about the front end of the rotation. Right? Is Alicia Clark healthy or no? That's a huge question that needs to be answered because. She's how many months removed from a foot injury? Like 14 months or something like that. And we're still saying like she's going to be taking it week by week. She's going to be rehabbing throughout the season. I mean, she hasn't even played five on five yet. And it's yeah, been that's, 14 it's months. It's not good. Yeah, it's not so a good sign. That is, I mean, there there were, um, I think she maybe was actually the one that kind of put the footage out there of her, you know, doing drills and guarding Elena Deladon and, and some drills and stuff like that. And it's nice to see her out there and moving laterally and stuff like that. But uh, for her to be, you know, over a year out from this foot injury and not cleared to go five on five, that is extremely concerning. Yeah, that's not great. And if you take Clark out of the out of the equation, if she can't go, then the whole switchability aspect of this team kind of gets thrown out the window, right? I mean, you still have obviously Cloud and Atkins, who, as you said, can defend anywhere on the perimeter, but you're going to have at least one player who's going to be hunted by opposing offense. So they're just like, okay, screw this. We're not going at Cloud or Atkins. We'll just go at whoever's playing the three for them. And um, I think Walker Kimbrough can hold up okay. Like, convention. you know, she's not a switchable player really because she has not great size. But if she's, you know, guarding twos and Atkins is guarding threes or Cloud is guarding threes, like you can probably live with that against most teams. But it, it I think it's it's obviously a downgrade on both ends, offensively and defensively. It's, it's a huge downgrade. And if, if she is healthy... I'm going to love to watch this team because they're going to be able to switch everything. And that's going to be a lot of fun. But as we said, like the, the reports of this foot injury progressing are just not, 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 not convincing, not convincing. Let's get into the number three pick here. Shakira okay. Austin, a surprise. I think when, when a little bit of a surprise, at least when Washington moved down to uh, choose not to draft Ryan Howard. But what do you think of Austin, you know, as a kind of this team's center for the future, what does she do well? And, and do you have any sort of like concerns about her game at the next level? Of course, I got concerns. She's a rookie. Um, but yeah, Austin, she's a really interesting prospect because she's very, very toolsy. She's five. She's six foot five, but she can dribble pretty well for a player of that height. Um, she's got a developing pull-up mid-range shot, and that's kind of that. That gets into my first concern: is yeah, she can she can dribble for a she's a good dribble for a center, but is it functional dribbling? 
because a lot of the time when she was at Ole Miss, it ended up in like she would dribble into a mid range shot. It's like you don't want to you don't want your center taking that shot. There's no really evidence of her being a three point shooter yet. She attempted very few three pointers. Obviously, you know during training camp we will see videos. I think we've already seen videos posted of Shakira Austin shooting three pointers. So it's that time of year. Everything is everything in preseason is going great as expected. Um, the one thing I don't have a question about is her wingspan. I mean, she's going to get a lot of rebounds and she's going to bother a lot of shots simply because she can reach over other people. That's not something you can teach. Um, and I think uh, in, a, in a certain way, Austin is kind of ahead of the curve because she was comfortable switching at Ole Miss um, in, in college. And she was comfortable with defending her switches without fouling. You know, you, sometimes when you see a big get switched onto a guard, they'll they'll go for the swat or they will, you know, they'll foul because they can't they either can't keep up or they'll try to block the shot when they don't have a good angle. Yeah, they'll, they'll try to like swipe the dribble and it's kind of like a half-hearted swipe because exactly. they'll just end up following in. Exactly. From what I saw, that wasn't a problem for Austin. Like she did a very good job of contesting with her length without fouling. And I think that's a very important skill to have if you're going to be a switch-heavy big. However, Obviously, the WNBA game is a hell of a lot different than the college game. So I don't know. You know, rookie rookie bigs, it tends to be a problem defending without fouling and, and defending on switches well, um, defending the pick and roll well. So I wouldn't be surprised if she struggles with that as well. But if I'm thinking about what Shakira Austin will ideally become, it's a big who can protect the rim and switch. That's very helpful. And also someone who can run the floor. Like she, she, she runs like a gazelle. She's not going to be... Uh, I don't know. She's not going to be like Candace Parker out there, but she can get a bucket or two in transition. The thing about this analysis is this, this comparison stuff. Ole Miss was such a frustrating college team to watch because they ran like literally everything inside the three point line. I go back to their, uh, their opening round loss against, I believe it was South Dakota. And it's like, they were just, they were hunting such inefficient offense. And whenever Austin would get any sorts of opportunity, there'd be three people in her lap right away. Washington projects to be a pretty darn good team at spacing the floor. So if anything, I think Austin is going to have a much better time at least getting those one-on-one matchups. I wouldn't consider her to be like an instant bucket with her back to the basket. I think she needs to get a little bit stronger. But in terms of just, you know, like getting offensive boards, maybe finishing plays off the pick and roll, I think she'll really excel at that. Yeah, I mean, they have like Elena Deladon and Maisha Hines. They're probably not going to be running too much offense through Shakira Austin. Not yet, not th- yet. This year. Um I think, you know, defensively, I think it could be pretty rough early on as she sort of learns how to be a pro defender. Like, I think she's very aggressive in trying to make plays defensively. And I can definitely see her team struggling with defensive rebounding early, maybe while early in her career while she's on the court because she's block chasing and kind of taking herself out of position, um, you know, maybe just doesn't have the strength right now. Uh, I think she'll, you know, she'll probably put up good individual rebounding numbers, but, you know, just like I said, kind of take herself out of some of those plays. I think her technique might struggle in pick and roll early on, like as as all bigs As all do. rookie bigs. Yeah. It, it might be like a struggle right up until the moment she becomes like just an awesome defender, which I think will probably happen at some point. Once the light bulb just goes yeah, off. Yeah, exactly. But I think, you know, I think it'll be a little while. Like, I don't think she's going to come in and just be like, you know, a, a positive contributor on either end, quite frankly. What do you see her role in an offense? Like she will be like the blank best player on a good offense when she's kind of like the player that she becomes. Ooh, that's a good question. Like probably not number one, right? No, 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 definitely not. I wouldn't even say number two, but I would say a a solid third option who, like I said, can get efficient offense rolling to the basket because she's got good downhill movement and she's just got so much. And like I said, this is where the off dribble stuff is really going to come in handy, I think, because she can cover a lot of ground 
just by taking one dribble from like the top of the key or whatever, and then just extending those long arms to try and finish at the basket. Again, I think she needs to get a lot stronger, particularly in her upper body, but typical rookie stuff. So I think offensively, a third option is, is a realistic uh, ceiling for her. And let's let's take a step back here and just think about what the Mystics did. Like they traded the number one overall pick down because they figured this player was going to be there. So you got to figure there was a good level of comfort with who they were going to be getting. And typically Mike Tebow, when he gets his player, that doesn't work out well for the rest of the league, you know? Um, so I'm really interested to see how this develops. Cause I mean, they only signed Elizabeth Williams for one year. So there's a realistic op, there's a realistic scenario in which Austin is starting for them as early as 2023, you know? Yeah. And I, I definitely agree with you. Like I can see this trade definitely working out for, Washington, like they identify the player they want as. I mean, the pick swap for next year is pretty important too. Yeah, true. Yeah. But even still, like if if they really thought Ryan Howard was like a franchise changing player, like I don't think that pick swap matters right. as much, you know. Right. So, but with that being said, like I I do think we should kind of like not you and I, but you know the collective we should temper our expectations for what that looks like this season. Like just because they traded Definitely. down for that pick doesn't mean that Shakira Austin is going to be like a shoe in for the closing lineup or even, you know, a positive contributor for this team. Uh, you know, she's going to play a ton, I'm sure, because this team does not have a lot of players that, you know, are, are kind of established players. Do they do things, yeah. yeah, exactly. But, you know, with that in mind, like, do you see this team closing more with a traditional center or if everyone, you know, let's just um, hope that everyone is healthy, you know, closing with Heinz Allen and Elena Deladon at the four and the five and going a little bit more, space heavy and uh, offense reliant, I guess, in, in some of those lineups. How about closing with a big lineup with Deladon at the three? If Alicia Clark is not healthy, you know, I might just take the risk and say like... If, if when... Clark is not healthy, I can definitely see that. Yeah, because, I mean, I would not trust a rookie big in a closing situation in most cases, um, particularly when there's other options that are going to be doing more or less the same thing. We both like Elizabeth Williams' game. You know, I know she has some very obvious limitations, but she's a smart player. Um, and this is a totally different culture and system that she's going to be coming into, you know? I mean, she's, so, she's never played with an offensive player as good as Elena Dell. I mean, nobody had, like, well, she's, nobody had, but like, even, even in the same neighborhood, like maybe kind of those late years, Angel McCautry, but it's completely different with the sort of gravity that Elena Deladon has in the half court. Right, right. And just the overall, just how Mike Tebow teams like to play, you know, the ball movement is going to be, I can, I can say this with a lot of confidence. The ball movement here is going to be a lot better than it was in the past couple of years in Atlanta. You know, is Williams going to be an offensive stalwart? No, but she's very good at playing within her role. And I think if you need a player who is going to make the right decisions down the stretch, it's going to be her. Is it going to be Austin? You know, you know, later, maybe that's probably what they anticipate happening. But I think for now, you got to at least consider playing Dellett onto the three in those lineups, because you know, Heinz Allen not a good defender, as we just said. Like she's not going to make any impact defensively. And if you're in a situation that you need a stop. That would concern me. But at the same time, Deladon is, when she's healthy, she's maybe like the best one-on-one -on -one player in the league. So if you need a bucket, you got to find a way to get Del to keep Deladon in the lineup there and to really maximize what she's doing out there, you know? So I guess I'm kind of waffling here. Do you have any strong take on this? I do think, you know, assuming decent health for Clark and Deladon, at least by the end of the season, it's more likely that they close small than big. Uh, I think I, I don't think that, you know, Absent Latoya Sanders, Mike Tebow particularly wants to play with three bigs. I think he would much, although you know they had four and they're they were expecting to to have to play with four of them yeah. in Deladon and Heinz Allen and, and Mason and Charles last year. So maybe I'm way off, but you know the reason that three 
guard lineup or that three big lineup worked is because you had two 50, 40, 90 bigs um, and a center who could guard point guards and hit 50% on her mid-range jump shots. So that, that, that team was just ridiculous. You, that was You weren't really taking anything away offensively and you had, you know, maybe one of the most versatile defensive centers uh, in the game. So, but, you know, I guess given kind of the, the case that you laid out, I could see it going either way and maybe that hides a little bit of Heinz Allen's defensive deficiencies and the spacing and the the great offensive play from Deladon and, and potentially Heinz Allen and the good shooters around those two players, you know, makes up for Elizabeth Williams' offensive deficiencies uh, and, and her, you know, she's not a post-up scoring center and stuff like that. So what are we looking at in terms of like strengths and weaknesses for this team? Well, the first thing that comes to mind for me is basketball IQ. I think they've got a really, I think they've got a great coaching staff, obviously, and I think they've just got a lot of really smart players. You know, Atkins, Deladon, Clark if she's healthy, Elizabeth Williams. Just a lot of players who have great feel for Cloud, the game. Cloud, for sure. Cloud, for sure. Cloud, for sure. Um, on both ends of the court, too. You know? Like, I think this is a team where you might not have a lot of outstanding individual defenders, but you've got a lot of people who know how to play within a system. Are they going to be a great defensive team? Probably not. But I don't think you're going to need to worry about that many blown assignments, at least when Heinz Allen is uh, not on the floor. I th- you know, and that and this this kind of stems from that as well. But again, ball movement. I don't think they have a lot of great passers individually, but I think they're just gonna be really good at making the right basketball play. And I know that's kind of surface level analysis here, but it's something I expect from Mike Tebow teams, and something I expect from players like these. Good system, collective passing, more so than any kind of great standout. Some of the value added passers that we've talked which, about, which which can go against them as well. You know, I think you could probably make a case that, you know, they don't have a lot of value-added passing, and that could be a weakness. Uh, in terms of strengths, you know, I I think I'm kind of maybe higher on them defensively. Like, again, if, if they have, at least in, like, the lineups with their best players, like, if, you know, when you have Rui Mishida and, and Tiana Hawkins out there, like, you're probably going to struggle to stop people. But um, Yeah, definitely. You know, with, with their five or six best players out there like I think they're going to be pretty connected defensively Cloud and Atkins and Clark you know if, if Clark can, can go that's a monster defensive one three three. That oh, that's awesome yeah for sure extremely switchable extremely versatile three outstanding one-on-one individual defenders and three great help defenders as well like I think they're going to be a menace digging down into post-ups you know they don't necessarily have the best post-up option centers you know elizabeth williams is a little bit smaller they have a rookie or uh, in austin or deladon playing a little bit out of position but when you have those players that can kind of dig down and, and cause havoc for the players that are trying to kind of operate from the low block you know i think that could make up for some of those other limitations this team is just never going to follow the other team as well again at least when their good players are out there like you just look at who these players are natasha cloud never falls ariel atkins never falls elena deladon as as kurt miller will tell you never falls uh, alicia clark has an extremely right. <laughs> low follow rate like all of these players like maybe you'll get to a little bit more following with Heinz Allen and, and E Will and you know a rookie center but I think this team is going to be one of the best teams in the league in terms of opponents uh free throw attempt rate that's a good point and and you're right I am I was a little low on them defensively but I'm just I'm just not sold on Alicia Clark being healthy if, if she Atkins and Clark and uh, Cloud can all go that is that's gonna be a killer perimeter defend, defense for sure um how about weaknesses for this team drill penetration I don't think they're good. Okay, first of all, let's just let's just throw Adele down out of this discussion because offensively she can do everything. Everyone else, 
I don't really see too many players besides Deladon who can just go out and get a layup or go out and attack the rim, go out and draw some fouls um, off the dribble, particularly from like their backcourt. You know, like Cloud can get there on occasion. Cloud's pretty athletic. She's she's strong, but she's not what you would call a like a drive and kick point guard or a drive and finish point guard. Atkins, we talked about that a lot. What else? What else we got? I mean, it, it's maybe wild to say this for for this team in this group, but. I think it could be a real mixed bag in terms of three-point shooting. Like Atkins, Clark, and Deladon are definitely plus shooters, but Natasha Cloud has her shot really waxes and wanes depending on the season, just like Tiana Hawkins, who we talked about before. Uh, Cloud was 27% last year. You know, both of their centers, if they play traditional centers all the time, are going to be more paint-bound, at least this season, in terms of uh, Shakira Austin. One other weakness, like they never get out and run, uh, as you have in our notes here, like that's kind of a Mike Tebow staple. That's a Tebow thing. They're, they're not really a transition team. I think they have good transition players. Uh, you know, um, Della Don and, and Heinz Allen and Atkins are can have all been effective in transition when they get out there, but the, the volume just isn't there. You know, you, you bring up a good point about a, a mixed bag for shooting. How many games last season did we see where they just shot like five for 24 from three or some very, very bad number? It, it, it seems like, you know, maybe this, this tends to... Um, even out over the course of a season. But to me, it seemed like the Mystics shot had some very, very poor shooting games, just just from like open three-point shooters, just bricking shots. But yeah, that's, that's definitely a concern too. When we're talking about kind of like overall you know, prognostication of this team where we think their their floor and ceiling is. I, I feel like I'm kind of viewing this as like two different teams, like the healthy Elena Deladon, healthy Alicia Clark, where those two players are giving you 30 games and, you know, 28 minutes or more with like that awesome defensive talent around Elena Deladon. Maisha Hines-Allen is much more of like a supplemental bench scorer, pretty good spacing at times around Deladon. You know, that that's a pretty good team. Like you're saying, maybe not a ton of dribble penetration or or excellent kind of plus passing, not putting a ton of pressure on the rim. But like we've seen this offense be pretty good without necessarily being, you know, one of the elite kind of rim attacking offenses because the shooting was so outstanding because they have Elena. I mean, healthy Elena Deladon has never played it's on everything, even an average offense. They've always been an elite offense with Elena Deladon. um, healthy you know whether it's Washington or Chicago so um, but then you know let's say Deladon is is not healthy that team to me has an extremely low ceiling I think and a pretty low floor as well like not fever dream bad unless they really kind of just decide to tank but you know if Deladon is not around and that's Maisha Heinz Allen is kind of like the focal point scorer around some of those Mm -hmm. defenders you know that to me is a team that could definitely be in like the Dallas Wings New York Liberty fighting to stay out of the lottery type neighborhood so like last year basically um yeah i agree it's it's really remarkable how much one elite offensive player can just make or break a team um there are some teams that are fortunate enough to have more than one but in this in this case you know it's it's really deladon and everyone else um i do think if everyone is healthy this is going to be a pretty fun team because they do project to have a lot of shooting they do project to have a lot of switchability and they do project to you know take a lot of threes and we saw how that worked out for them in uh, 2019 of course another extreme example they're not going to be as good as they were when they won it all but um but hey they they made the finals the year before as well they did they made the finals the year before uh, without uh Misaman, so like it is possible um yeah I, I think i'm with you on that i could see them finishing around middle of the pack but again like everything is so dependent on deladon who ha- we haven't seen in healthy in two years so Let let me ask you straight up. If this team has relatively good health this year, are they a championship contender? 
yes, they are not the championship contender, but I could see them winning it all. Because, I mean, when you have an elite offensive player like that, you just you, you can't count out a, a team, you know, catching fire in the playoffs in, in a, in a three-game series, you know? Yeah, especially since pretty much everybody else around her that that's going to be playing heavy playoff minutes at least can shoot. So you know, yeah. the whole world can open up. So uh, yeah, I this, agree. With this you. team it's set up for success. It's set up for success. They just need to stay on the court. Yeah, definitely more of a if everything goes right type of contender. But you know, it wouldn't be the most surprising thing in the world. I think if if they ended up just you know everyone is healthy and they kind of blaze through the regular season and uh, they're they're in the finals in a few months. That being said, I still think they're a tier or two below like the teams we expect to compete. I think Chicago, Connecticut are better. Who else? How do you like them against Minnesota? I mean, I can see Minnesota like taking some regular season games from them, but I I, I mean, we'll get to it. I, I don't really view Minnesota as like a serious championship contender. Okay, so what, what tier would you put the Mystics in? Tier two, probably like in the same neighborhood as you know, Connecticut, but you know, like an everything, if everything goes right, a half a step down from like Chicago and Seattle, probably. Okay. That's fair. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for listening. If you want to support the show, as always, you can follow rate and review on Apple, Spotify, and Google podcasts. You can follow the show on Twitter at double down WNBA. You can follow Eric on Twitter at Nemchok E and you can follow myself at Trinkwald. And we'll be back uh, very, very shortly with another uh, Team Outlook. All right. Take care, everyone.